0: Hey there, and welcome to another edition of the Inside Intercom Podcast. This week, we're diving into the topic of your startup's brand, something that's much bigger than voice or visual identity, ultimately your brand is defined by what those on the outside say, or how your product makes them feel. That's the result of a whole slew of touch points and experiences. Our guest for today's show has spent his career building and shaping those experiences for some of the largest names in tech. That's Stripe designer Everett Ketigbakke. Today, Everett's focused on bringing Stripe's brand to life through film, print, and interactive experiences. And previous to that, he was Pinterest brand manager and going back even further, was a founding member of Facebook's brand design team. There, he started the Analog Research Lab, which had a massive and lasting impact on how Facebook's culture was shaped and spread. In a chat with Intercom's director of brand design, Stuart Scott Curran, Everett explains what makes for meaningful brand or communications design.
1: Product is about making something that's relatively universal to a broader set of people. You know, so you want to solve problems at scale. Um, but brand is about or brand and marketing is about taking that that emotion or that feeling and then making it canonical. You know, trying to make it really connect with someone at a
0: human level. What happens to brand when founders begin to overshadow product?
1: People couldn't really separate Mark Zuckerberg and this, this young, kind of radical CEO. You know, they couldn't separate that from their product and the experience. He had a lot of baggage in people's mind, and I think it took a lot of work for them to, like, decouple him from the product itself and where product and brand design overlap. There is still story inside of a product. There is this consumer experience. You know, if you think about it that way, instead of like writing a list of like, what are all the functionality of this product and what are all the attributes or the metrics even, it's like, what's the human side of this thing?
0: If you like what you hear and want to check out more inside Intercom interviews, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and shoot us a rating or a review. We really value your feedback and it helps bring new listeners to the show. And now, let's hop into the studio with Stuart Scott Curran and Everett Katicbeck.
2: You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Everett, welcome to Inside Intercom. Thanks for joining us today. Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So to get started, maybe you can just briefly introduce yourself, how you got into tech, uh, and the companies whose brands you've helped shape today.
1: Sure. I came here from the museum and exhibition design world. So for the most part, I was doing a lot of physical and environmental design. And honestly, tech was the furthest thing from my brain. Uh, I loved the museum. It was a super fun and uh, kind of fulfilling experience. One thing that I knew that I wanted to do was to live in the Bay Area, living in L.A., kind of gotten sick of sitting in the car and breathing all the smog. But on top of that, I just kind of wanted to, to see what else was out there, outside of the museum, which can get pretty repetitive, although it's, you know, each subject and each exhibition you do is pretty interesting. You know, it. you start to fall into these patterns, and doing an exhibit is pretty straightforward. So... Um, I started talking with all these people up here, I was bringing my, back then, a, a physical portfolio. I didn't have uh, a good website. It was a really crappy website. Um, but I had a portfolio of things, and I talked to as many people as I could. Back then, uh, I was talking to Facebook, and I talked to some friends at Google early on, and then just something different about the people that I met at Facebook, and ended up getting an offer there, and, and that's really what brought me up here. I didn't really quite know what to expect back then.
2: Now you're a Strape? Yeah, I'm at Stripe. I've
1: been there for just under a year. You know, company is growing pretty rapidly, too, just kind of like a lot of companies out here. So it's been reinventing itself in the short time I've been there, which has been pretty exciting. Uh, before Stripe, I was at a smaller startup called Ship, just for a sh- little short stint, trying to help them figure out their brand storytelling. Yep. But before that, I was also at Pinterest for quite a while. So I've been there, again, when it was a really small company, um, all the way up until it was... A medium to large size company
2: and so you're focusing more on communications design and brand design as opposed to product design and so I'm kind of interested in how we think about communications design or, or brand design like it's, it's been around for a while but like in terms of applying that to like business problems especially in tech it, it feels like it's a fairly new thing because we've been thinking about product so much like a lot of companies are so like product driven like what does that label communications design like mean to you? For me I guess
1: like I've I've always been more inclined to help with the narrative side of of a company you know a lot of the brand is experienced through the product you know so people kind of start to just intuitively understand what the brand means but you know at a certain point you need to start being more proactive and start shaping what that narrative is Um, So for me, a lot of it is about taking what um, customers or users or whoever encounters the product or this thing that you're making, that kind of feeling that you're trying to elicit through this thing you're building and just kind of making it more canonical. Uh, You know, a friend of mine kind of broke it down pretty saliently where he was like, um, product is about making something that's relatively universal to a broader set of people, you know, so you want to solve problems at scale, Um, but brand is about or brand and marketing is about taking that that emotion or that feeling and then making it canonical, You know, trying to make it really connect with someone at a human level, which often is very specific and very personal. Um, so for me, uh, it's not really one or the other per se. It's like they all kind of um, flow together pretty naturally. So I think at least in the early days of these companies that I've been at, I guess it's been more about the stage or the phase that I've come into the company at. Yeah. Um, because I have a lot more access to the product team and, like, the, the original or, like, the early kind of product development cycle, you
2: know? Yeah. And so, like, I think, like, a lot of times when, when people think about communications design or, or brand in quotes there's a little bit of a cliche that that goes around with that you see a lot of blog posts that your brand is more than a logo like what do you see as like the core components of a brand today like how do you go a little bit deeper than that
1: I guess this is like the age old question or the challenge for designers and and it's constantly evolving especially as new tools and new distribution channels for brands to get their message out there I guess like The fact that it's a cliche means that it's probably rooted in some pattern or something that, you know, gets exploited to a certain degree, you know, when people write or blog about this stuff. Um, But for the most part, I think, I mean, when you take the traditional identity design, which used to be more what, what designers specifically thought of as a brand, like I'll make you a logo and I'll do this brand identity guidelines thing and that... That's about um, visual consistency or, or even voice to a certain degree. But I think for the most part, it gets like, I mean, there are a number of ways that people talk about it. Like people say, oh, it's a promise that that your product or your company is building, or it's really about this deeper thing that you stand for as a brand or as a, as a company, I mean. So brand, I guess the logo itself really is just meant as a trigger, you know, it, it's meant to remind people of these experiences and these things and these narratives and all of these things that you're investing in as a company, these deeper things that you stand for today. It's just meant to remind them of who you are and what you stand for and why they, they want to either be loyal or they, they want to kind of support you as a business.
2: And at Stripe, you're doing a lot more just beyond, like, logo and color. Like, you're working on bringing the brand voice to life through film, print different types of experiences. What are some of those things that you're doing to try and diversify the brand voice and how does that play into Stripe's mission?
1: Well, a lot of the things I like to do is more narrative-driven Even though I have a a background and a training in visual design and communication design, I tend to think more about, like, voice and story and stuff. And then Mm -hmm. um, I I approach all of my projects or all of the challenges at a company with that in mind, and then I figure out what is the right story we're trying to tell. Essentially, it's, like, more of a, a strategic way to think about things. And then... Once we start to figure out what that narrative is, then I think about what's the appropriate medium, depending on, like, what our goals are. You know, sometimes videos videos, often the way that I like to approach things because I just am really interested in filmmaking. But mm-hmm. at the same time, sometimes it is interactive experiences. Sometimes it is environmental design through, like, events and things like that because yep. um, I've done a fair amount of all those things. But I guess, like— my personal interests. It never starts with like one specific medium. It's just really about diving into story and then finding all these cool ways to to get people to experience those.
2: Thinking about story and, and narrative, like I know you I know you write a lot as well. Like mm-hmm. I'm interested in how your writing helps you with your design work and maybe vice versa. Yeah,
1: yeah writing is Core to, to what I do, it's core to like my creative practice, and you know, it's not always like consumer-facing copy. You know, I mean, sometimes it has been, but yeah. for the most part, writing is the the start of an idea for me. Uh, one of my mentors in school was this this guy Lou Danziger. He's a pretty legendary designer. I'm, I I took him a bunch when I was at Art Center, and the thing that he said that stuck out in my mind, which I still use to this day, is. Photoshop was starting to, to come out, and, and Illustrator, people would ask him, like, oh, what, what tool should I use, whatever. And he said, Microsoft Word is the most powerful design tool that you could have. Yep. And I really took that to heart, and I, I use it, and I, I not necessarily Microsoft Word, but, um, you know, writing down things. For me, all of my ideas and all of my stories and all that just start with, like, free writing. You know, I wake up every day, like, for the most part, and I just do, like, You know, I I block it off on my calendar and will write for at least 30 minutes about, you know, anything really. But just to kind of keep those skills sharp, because again, for for me, all of the the work that I do is about storytelling, but it's also just conjuring up an image in someone's mind. Writing is a way to do that without the visual side of things. So if you can really shape that, then it will just make your visual work a lot stronger, I think.
2: So back. uh a little bit like you—you you mentioned um, at the top of the show that you were one of the original brand team members at Facebook. What was the state of Facebook's brand when you arrived, and how important should brand be to founders like in a startup's early days?
1: Yeah, Facebook was a, a really interesting company, and I think it still has has a lot of the the things that made it awesome, but also made it a crazy place you know a lot of facebook's brand really was tied to mark zuckerberg himself and these kind of legends and stories and stuff that now are kind of immortalized in movies like the social network right so people couldn't really separate you know mark zuckerberg and this this young kind of radical ceo you know they couldn't separate that from their product and the experience which which really what they were trying to do was just build a, a useful communication tool that helped people connect with their families and friends and talk about interests and stuff. So anytime they would do something, product wise, you know, people would just really essentially like blame Mark or or like he had a lot of baggage in people's mind and I think it took a lot of work for them to like decouple him from the product itself. I mean I think they both as as those two brands, like Mark Zuckerberg's brand and the Facebook brand, kind of became um, their own independent things. Now you can see how Mark's brand has developed and he's starting to to kind of grow into his own as as a legitimate world leader. You know, he's like a voice out there that a lot of people really kind of um, look to. And then the, the product itself is, is kind of like able to exist without him kind of like having to do a lot of the heavy lifting. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, there's a lot of examples today, like even look at Uber, right? Like yeah. a very similar experience where people can't decouple the product from Travis, the CEO, so you know, whenever they do something they're they're very quick to like blame him because he doesn't really have the trust of the people, you know.
2: I'm really interested in like when you were at Facebook, how you as designers there in the early days like helped shape the culture there and communicate the culture there. I know you were one of the founding members of Facebook's analog research lab which is a great example um perhaps you can talk a little bit on how that resource came into being and like why build a print shop inside a tech company
1: right yeah <laughs> that's also something that people just don't quite understand i mean they i mean you know i think designers now can kind of get it um but you know when we were trying to conceive this idea it wasn't necessarily like Let's let's build a print shop inside of this digital tech company. It was really the other founder, Ben Barry, and myself. Honestly, we were just reverting to things that we knew how to do as designers. Um, you know, I'd come from L.A. I was doing exhibition design. Ben came from Austin, and he was actually working at a screen printing shop. And we were in a sea of engineers. We were in a sea of web designers. And in some ways, it was a comfortable way for us to assert ourselves and our skill levels because these are things that people didn't know how to do. And, and it was just really natural for us to start making stuff like that. Um, so we just started doing it. And, and 10 years ago, we were kind of these punk kids just in a punk company, you know, trying to do all this crazy stuff. And for us, it was really about like, Pushing buttons, but also getting people to see things differently. So we were essentially these kind of agent provocateurs inside the company, and um, that's really what it was about: was to get people to think differently about their jobs and the company and this this thing that we're building, which is now this like mega thing that you know we didn't even quite understand when we were embarking on that stuff. So yeah, I guess the Analog Research Lab really just it was an interesting factor of the time and the conditions and both ben and i's prior experiences and you know again it wasn't anything that came from any like top-down initiatives it was really just us trying to find our own voice inside the company
2: and that obviously started to gain a little bit of traction like what were some of the first artifacts that you were getting out around there was it like posters
1: yeah most of it was well it actually started because um we had a conference that we were doing, which was the F8 conference, which, you know, I think it was maybe the second or third F8 event that we started to jump on board with. And um, we didn't really have any budgets because, you know, it was not a really established, like, marketing org in that sense. They just knew, like, hey, we're having this product event, and we're going to host it at the concourse, which is now demolished, and it's now these luxury apartments over there. But, you know, they didn't have budgets to do all of the interior and, like, the event design and all that stuff. and, And a lot of it was, like... Well, we'll we'll just make it, you know? Like, yeah. we need tables. We'll make these tables out of plywood and sawhorses. And, you know, we'll make them look cool because we'll screen print on them and stuff. So that's really how it started. Um, we brought in our own tools. Um, you know, Ben brought in, you know, these really ratty screens that he had that he made from, like, window frames or something. Um, and that was really the the origin story of that. Like, I brought in, like, some saws and drills and stuff that I had in my garage. And we just started hacking away literally on on furniture and all these things. And we just made a crap ton of stuff for the, this event. And I think back now and I, I see pictures from that day. It was, like, pretty crazy because we had access to this warehouse, like this huge warehouse that no one even knew that we were in. And we just stayed there all night and all weekend and we were just literally screwing all these tables together and then trying to figure out how to get it to the venue and it kind of created this really amazing aesthetic that was just born out of like us not having money but us really wanting to make something cool happen yeah and then from there we just like kept doing it and kept making things inside the office and you know we started printing posters and then um, started you know sign painting and doing all this stuff and then eventually I bought a letter press and started printing things doing linoleum blocks and Yeah, it was just a way for us to, a a different way to like kind of communicate inside the company, which was pretty, pretty wild.
2: So you're obviously a strong believer that the analog and digital work can not only coexist, but actually help bring like an aspect of humanity to technology. Um, What are some of the ways that designers and and probably engineers too can can step outside of their comfort zones and make, make that happen?
1: It's not necessarily or specifically like analog stuff that that I think is I mean I, I do think it's um, it's really important but as counterpoint to other things that exist like you know just being able to code and prototype things for me is super amazing and and a, a skill that I lack so I try and get out of my comfort zone by perpetually trying to learn how to code and doing it very yeah. terribly but um, yeah. for me there's something about just using different tools to communicate different things you know some people are just really good they have a really deep knowledge and the skill set in like one area which i think is is pretty amazing cuz i'm not i'm not like that but i do think that it's about not necessarily balance but um being able to try different things because whatever you're trying to do like some sometimes it's really connected to the medium or the output and then when you switch that you just have to get really resourceful and it gets your brain to think in a different way which is what learning to code or even, like, filmmaking and videos and different things like that does for me. It just, like, helps me think differently than what my just go-to kind of habits are because I can very naturally, like, pick up a pencil and draw and do stuff, but sometimes when I, I don't have those things, then, like, I don't have that as a crutch to rely on. So yeah. I think it's really important.
2: We talk about this stepping out your your comfort zone and, and maybe getting, like, a little bit closer to like what engineers may do or, like, what a, what product designers do. That's, like, a place where you can often find, like, a little bit of friction. How do you feel, like, the role of, like, a communications or brand designer, like, overlaps with, with what the product folks are doing?
1: Product design, it's really interesting when you, like... All of the phases of a company that I've I've been at is usually it's early enough when design is like one organization, you know, and product designers and communication designers, They, there really is no distinction. Sometimes they even just modulate on a per project basis. They'll do some product design, then it'll do like a marketing site or whatever. And I think that's kind of what what draws me to certain companies is like I, I like the stage of it, you know, and I like helping build not only a design team, but building like a company, like infrastructure, like a way of working that, you know, people just go to every day, which is kind of cool. One thing that I think the great product designers do that, you know, younger product designers or maybe even people that have fallen into habits just kind of forget about is that there is still story inside of a product. There is this consumer experience, you know. And, um, you know, if you think about it that way, instead of, like, writing, like, a list of, like, what are all the, the functionality of this product and what are all the attributes and, or the metrics even. It's like, what's the human side of this thing? Like, what do we want someone to do with this thing and what do we want them to feel with it? That's what, like, a lot of great brands and products do is they they lead with a story and then they kind of sometimes back into an interesting product or, you know, you're you're on the cusp of making something really cool as a product and you're just like well where does this fit in with someone cuz at the end of the day we make stuff for people right like that, yep. that's why we're all kind of here and um if you can't connect it to something that's really meaningful to another person then you're just you're making stuff but um it's not really as leveraged or impactful as you think it might be you know so that's what i think communication design can do when when they're really plugged into product design and, and just like general like the product org is like how do we put a voice to this thing and how do we get people to think about what we're making in a very different way that just um you know again humanizes this thing that we're trying to make you know
2: and correct me if i'm wrong but i think stripe is still at the stage where there's just like one design team it's not broken into separate product or brand teams at the moment so do you think it makes that collaboration and and telling that like one story easier like do you think that gets harder like as, as you scale and maybe those teams start to develop some of their own cultures and workflows
1: yeah it it's really good early on when it's just one design team because I think you start to develop some sort of a collective conscience as the company grows and it's not necessarily that like a team would like segment or or like break off and do different things. But I do think as an organization grows and as like, you know, marketing teams develop or communications org develop and so does product and then you have other product lines and then like, you know, eventually it gets into this this crazy world where you have to break it down into much smaller bits so like those teams can be a little bit more autonomous or do whatever they need to do. But if you're still stuck in this like one small design team world, then it does start to become a little bit of a bottleneck, you know? Yeah. So I do think eventually it makes sense as as a brand and a business starts to gain momentum and gain steam is to have other types of creative thinkers and creative designers and stuff thinking about different problems. And, you know, the product team will always grow and it'll always, like, have the need to be more focused on experience, But I think once you have, like, bigger goals and a bigger audience, like, from a marketing perspective, then you need people that that are able to think more specifically about that. But when you're trying to modulate between too much stuff, then it becomes hard to really specialize in any form of design. And there's many forms of design, you know.
2: Yeah. And so, finally, you know, Stripe's one of the the fastest-growing companies in tech today. And we hear a lot about the challenges of, like, scaling a business and, and scaling product. What do you think is hard about scaling brand?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, scaling a brand is really um, it's challenging from like an internal perspective, because um, sometimes you just you really have to be able to let go of what you think the brand is, because oftentimes, I mean, for the most part, a brand is what someone else experiences, not like what you tell them it is, you know. Yeah. Um. So as the your user base or audience or whatever starts to broaden and diversify. It becomes harder to empathize with different people from different cultures and different countries, you know. And now that you're able to scale internationally much more quickly than uh, you know prior companies, um, it's it's kind of hard to really do that in a in a quick way that doesn't or that like is really meaningful to those people, you know. Yeah. So I think that that's probably one of the the biggest challenges is like you're not only building this this product and this brand that's international, but you're also, like, building a company, like, at a rapid pace. So, like, getting all those people to be on the same page, like, both business-wise and cultural-wise. Like, there's just so many moving pieces, which is what makes scaling a brand hard because you're simultaneously scaling a company in a way of working, you know?
2: Yeah. It's a fun challenge, though. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah,
1: Stripe <laughs> is definitely the the most rapid company that I've I've been at, which is
2: crazy. Everett Katigbeck, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Stuart.
2: You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.